This is an NAC podcast. Welcome to this episode of the National Arts Centre NACO cast series. My name is Sean Rice and I am the second clarinetist with the National Arts Centre Orchestra. Today we are in the Hexagon Room at the National Arts Centre to talk with Dr. Jessica Holmes about her work in music and the relationship between disability and music. Welcome and thanks for taking the time to join us today. Thank you so much, Dr. Rice. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking before we started recording about uh, where you're from. You're from Montreal, Toronto, you, you said? Yeah, I sort mm-hmm. of grew up part part way between both cities. Right. And you pursued musicological studies at McGill, right? I did. Okay. Pri- prior to that, I did a, an undergraduate degree and a master's degree. Okay. What was your instrument? Cello. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> so were you, before you went in to do your PhD, were you, did you always know you were going to pursue musicology or were you going to... That's a really good question yeah. because musicology is a highly specific discipline. For sure. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, I'd been playing music and studying music my whole life. My mm. father's a church minister, so some of my first okay. musical training was in the church, Great. choir, um, and playing cello for uh, the church parishioners, mm-hmm. playing in the home, um, mm-hmm. often begrudgingly for my parents' uh, <laughs> dinner parties <laughs> with members of the church. But it was a really enriching upbringing, so I, I and I... Um, I went to a performing arts high school as okay. well, where I studied cello. Uh, and I think I went into the undergrad thinking that I could make it as a professional mm-hmm. cellist. <laughs> um, but my dreams were soon shattered. Oh, really? <laughs> it became overwhelmingly clear <laughs> to me that, that that was not a viable life goal. But obviously music was still going to be your focus absolutely. and passion because you, you stuck yeah. with it. So. Yeah. Um, did you do all your degrees at McGill? Or? No, I'm okay. sorry, I should have clarified. I, I did my undergraduate degree and my master's degree at the University of Western Ontario. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Okay. In London. Great campus. Yeah, it's So beautiful, beautiful there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so then you went to Montreal to pursue your doctorate. Yeah, in I did. Okay. Yeah, I, I had thought for a time that I'd go to law school, actually, okay. and to leave music altogether. But it was my father who really encouraged me to go okay. the distance with my musical studies. Uh, I got very interested in the study of music history during mm-hmm. my undergraduate degree, taking some of the required music history courses mm-hmm. uh, and the academic side of music. Mm-hmm. And so following my master's degree, I realized that perhaps this was a viable career path for right. me. Um, and I, I, I just love reading about and, and learning more about music. Mm-hmm. So musicology is a great is a great fit. Great. And so... It's uh, we may as well just jump to it because your specialty is quite quite interesting in the field of musicology. Yeah, so I uh, specialize in music and disability with unique expertise in music and deafness. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you say, it's a rather unorthodox area of expertise as far as musicology well, not, is concerned. Uh, maybe not so much unorthodox, but it's 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 probably long overdue. Yes, it's timely. You're yeah. right. Yeah, it's it's absolutely timely and long overdue. Um, 
musicology as a discipline is historically quite conservative mm -hmm. and there's been a suppression of discourse on the body mm -hmm. even though musical experience is a deeply embodied experience mm -hmm. yes <laughs> um but this idea that um western art music is somehow transcendent it transcends the limits of the body so mm -hmm. there's this been there's been this uh a suppression of attention to the body in mm -hmm. musicological discourse as a result so my interest in disability stems from that longstanding suppression. But I should clarify that over the last two or three decades, there have been several musicologists attending to the role of mm -hmm. the body in music performance mm -hmm. and in musical experience. Mm -hmm. So my interest in disability is really grounded in musicological study on the body. Okay. Um, the way I got interested in deafness specifically uh, was through a, a personal connection. Okay. My uncle is profoundly deaf. Okay. He cannot hear below 90 decibels and has wow. been since birth. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, he uh, never learned to sign, so he didn't have access to sign language, mm. but has been wearing hearing aids his whole life. Mm -hmm. And so it was through witnessing some of the invisible and highly nuanced labors that he undertook to sort of compensate for the technological constraints Obviously, of his yeah. hearing aid mm -hmm, mm -hmm. throughout his social interactions, such as lip reading or mm -hmm. maintaining clear sight lines with the speaker, right. intuiting meaning from subtle bodily movements. Right. I can only imagine. Yeah. yeah. yeah that, that, that I became aware of, of the, the depth of, mm -hmm. of deaf sensory experience and this visual spatial capacity or sensitivity or acuity mm -hmm. that my uncle has very much extends to his musical experiences. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. So, okay. And so that was my natural entry point into the subject. Okay. So it, it comes from a, a very inspired mm -hmm. place. Um, can you speak more to what specifically you deal with? I, 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 am I correct in saying you're currently working on a book? Yeah, okay. yeah, I am. So I'm a I'm a postdoctoral fellow at at UCLA. Mm -hmm. So a, a postdoc is just a wonderful opportunity to work on various collaborative research projects, but also to work on one's book, hopefully. <laughs> so my book is now, I'm happy to say, under contract with the University of Michigan Press. Hey, congratulations. Thank That's you. That's awesome. And UMich is uh, one of the leading academic publishing houses in disability studies. So the okay. book will be cross-listed in disability studies and also in this newly launched music and social justice series. Okay, fascinating. So, so I'm working on the book tentatively mm -hmm. titled Music at the Margins of Sense. Okay. And it's all about engaging the misconceptions we have about deafness and mm -hmm. deaf sensory experience mm -hmm. as it relates to music through the first-hand accounts of deaf musicians and listeners. Can you speak to some of those? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, I should say that that, that there are two complementary misconceptions that the book is seeking to, to challenge and to upend. Mm -hmm. The first is that deafness precludes the possibility of musical engagement. Yeah. This erroneous assumption, this mistaken assumption that people have that deaf people live in a world of total silence, which is, mm -hmm. of course, not true. They have a very sophisticated conception of sound that mm -hmm. extends to their musical experiences. So okay. that's the first assumption that I'm seeking or misconception that I'm seeking okay. to deconstruct. The second, and this is a, a, a newer um, misconception, has to do with vibration and the sense of touch mm. and this idea that all deaf people are automatically bestowed with this superhuman sensitivity to touch and that they can recuperate lost hearing 
through the sense of touch, sensing mm. music through vibrations in a, in a, in a highly sophisticated way. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has a lot to do with um, the, fa- the cultural fascination we have with, 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 with science and mm-hmm. the way that empirical scientific research gets reported on. Yeah. This idea that like all deaf people have superhuman sensory powers. I see. Is, is, this, is this related to the fact that when you talk about other sens- loss of other sensories that mm-hmm. it's, like, we, we often assume that it, other senses are so, so heightened? heightened. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's a very exciting narrative mm-hmm. because on the one hand, it seems positive. Like mm-hmm. we, we're, we're accustomed to thinking of these people as, as um, um, living in a world of silence, but no, actually, they have a heightened sense of touch or a heightened mm-hmm. visual mm-hmm. perception, okay. and that is certainly true. But it's more than it is um, um, neurological, mm-hmm. and it is there are there is a certain neurological basis in certain instances of, of prelingual deafness. Mm-hmm. It's called cross modal plasticity. Okay. But more than neurological, it is cultural. These this this heightened sense of touch or vision these these things are nurtured through cultural practice but they're not right. ne- nearly as sensational as as popular science would have right. us believe <laughs> that's interesting so yeah. these are the two conceptions misconceptions that i'm 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 seeking to challenge through looking at different deaf accounts of music okay and so that you just said mm-hmm. it but you you have uh firsthand accounts from, yes. from people mm-hmm. what kinds of people are 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 you inter- oh, sorry what kinds of people are you interviewing and yeah what kind of experiences are they having? I'm yeah. very curious. Well, it, the experiences are highly variable. It's difficult to yeah. generalize. So the book is broken down into a series of chapters. Okay. Um, and they're thematic. One of the chapters deals with deaf culture mm-hmm. and people who communicate primarily in sign language and, and, and identify um, with the cultural linguistic minority politics of mm-hmm. deaf culture. So they see their deafness as an empowering form of uh, biocultural diversity okay. and, 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 and gain, actually. Interesting. Yes. Huh. So, so these people refrain from using their, their spoken voices and communicate in sign language. And, and Ottawa has a very uh, okay. a, a, a vibrant culturally deaf community. So, because uh, I uh, forgive my ignorance, I don't no. actually know too much about the deaf community. No, and it's, okay. it's fascinating to learn this, but you're, you're, you're saying that for the varying degrees of deaf, deafness, I imagine that mm-hmm. some people have the ability to still communicate with with by vocalizing, but they choose not to. Yeah. Okay. This is a really great um, question, and okay. it's, it's fraught. It has to do with the fact that historically sign language was suppressed. Okay. Under what is known as oralism, the practice of educating the deaf to to use their spoken voices mm-hmm. and to and to lip read in the hopes of equipping them with the tools required to survive in the hearing world. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so the idea being that they that, that they could be assimilated into hearing culture. Mm-hmm. All the while, so this was happening in the 18th and 19th centuries in the United States, in Great Britain. Uh, all the while there was this subaltern, this this sort of minority class of deaf people who communicated more readily in sign language okay. as these different sign languages developed. Of course, yeah. Um, but, of course, under the oralist doctrine, sign language was seen as a primitive form of mm. communication, which we know today is not true. Of course, yeah. American sign language, British sign language, um, these are natural languages, much like English or French. Mm-hmm. So... Very complex. Very complex. They have very complex grammatical structures, Mm -hmm. just like 
English and French Mm -hmm. and any other language, any other natural language for that matter. So contemporary deaf culture centers on a rejection of oralism and, 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 and the voice, the spoken voice is a token of, of, of oralism. Okay. And it, and it, it is not, um, necessarily an instrument of um, empowerment. Mm-hmm. It's it's it, it was historically one of oppression. Interesting. So how does a, a person like that who who who's who takes great pride in communicating with sign language? Mm-hmm. What is the musical experience like for someone? Yeah. This again. These are great questions. Um, Again, I and forgive my ignorance, no, but I, I'm, not ac- I'm actually all. asking from a place of ignorance and innocence because this is all no. n- new information for me, yeah, too. No. I find this fascinating. Yeah. It's great. There are several different ways that mem- self-identifying members of deaf culture engage with music. Okay. It, it's not a straightforward answer, but I can give a few examples. Great. Awesome. Now, historically, there are some because of the 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 longstanding tensions with with the hearing world and with oralism mm-hmm. that see music as once again belong as as a as a phenomenon that belongs to the hearing world. Okay, I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, deaf culturally deaf people maintain that they are a people of the eye because sign language is a visual and spatial form of of communication, mm-hmm. a visual spatial language. So th- there are certain people who hold fast to that to that cultural value and so reject music as a result but there has long been uh the practice of what is known as song signing and this is something that my Mm. colleague dr annabelle mailer at the university of indiana and the jacobs school of music has Mm -hmm. written at length about in in several of her published articles song signing is the practice of signing a, a sign language interpretation alongside a song, whether a recorded song or a song sung in live performance. So is the sign language communicating the text or is there also a a variable to communicate pitch and harmony too? This is is exactly what my colleague um, Annabelle has written about, that there, we tend to think of, of, um, um, of song signing as a form of translation mm-hmm. from from English into sign language or from whatever language the song is, mm-hmm. happens to be sung in to mm-hmm. the sign language. But in fact, there are ways, and so there is certainly lyrical translation course, provided, yeah. but there are ways of communicating things like register, mm-hmm. registral contrasts through hand height. Amazing, okay. Yeah, even melodic contour through mm-hmm. the the horizontal and vertical trajectories of the hands. Um, tempo and meter are, are, are readily communicated through body pulsing and moving the hands in sync with the underlying beat. It's fascinating. Yeah. That's its own Mm -hmm. art form. It is, it is, it's, 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 to, to, to my mind, its own genre of music. And that's certainly how. Uh, my colleague Annabelle has has has, has written about it. It's mm. a viable form of musical expression on its Absolutely. own. Absolutely, and that the music it is not it is not subservient to the music. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, um, especially at the hands of native signers, those mm-hmm. who have been signing um, their their most of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, their their knowledge of sign language is so intricate and sophisticated, such that they are able to create. Uh, a, um, a, a very elaborate, nuanced, 
musical expression. Sounds like it. it, it using it their native language. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the ways that members of deaf culture okay. engage with music. And you, you may have seen uh, song signing performances um, on live televised singing competitions like The Voice okay. or uh, Eurovision, for okay. instance. Okay. Um, or often at mainstream pop musical acts. Okay. Live performances. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I actually haven't yet. Sorry, I don't. I don't mm-hmm. really watch much TV anymore. <laughs> oh, I cut the okay. cable cord a while ago, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm I'm used to um, teaching millennials, so no. so they have a, a very firm grasp on pop culture, right. and I have to keep you know my finger on the pulse. <laughs> um, sorry, I, I, we we keep going off in, in other directions, but you were talking about the different ways different people mm-hmm. experience music. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm super fascinated to hear other other ways that, that the community experiences musical uh, yeah. music. Sorry. Yeah, mm-hmm. so another um, topic that I, I, I'll be addressing in the book mm-hmm. has to do with this emerging subculture of deaf metalheads. What? Yes. No yes. way. Yes. That is awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in, in heavy metal and increasingly in the live performance of electronic music, whether it's EDM, so electronic mm-hmm. dance music, yep or um, ambient music, mm-hmm. volumes are reaching 120 decibels and above. I actually love going to metal shows myself. <laughs> As do Air I. Airplugs are in. <laughs> As do I. Yeah. One of my favorite bands is a drone metal band, and they actually have a deaf following. No way. Yeah, they're called cool. Sun, and their shows are notoriously loud. You cannot attend a concert without a set yeah. of... Yeah, safety earplugs. Yes, of course. A good good pair of earplugs. So this this emerging sort of deaf subculture within heavy metal, within certain pockets of electronic music, Mm -hmm. flock to these genres because of the loud volumes, Mm -hmm. because of these state of the art sound systems Mm -hmm. that enable one to 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 feel. The vibrations, the, the music literally penetrates your body. Yeah, it feels that way even with earplugs. It does. Yeah. It does. So um, this is this is an imp- an increasingly important uh, means of engagement for, mm-hmm. for for members of of the deaf community. And and something that's very interesting is that for for hearing people like you or I being in a, a, a loud, immersed in a loud sonic environment where the the music is being blared at us. Mm-hmm. Um, we have trouble communicating. Of course. Right? Yeah. We would yeah. be shouting in one another's ears. Yeah. But sign language in, enables one to communicate yeah, there's no- even in the midst <laughs> of loud sounds. Of course. Right? Mm-hmm. So there's this sense that us hearing folks are, um, the, the, the music disables us where it empowers mm. and enables those members of the deaf Amazing. community who sign. Amazing. So so that that to me is of great interest as well. That's very fascinating. Mm-hmm. So uh, you were you were at the rehearsal last night, I believe. Yes. Right? We, so yeah. we're, this week mm-hmm. we're performing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, mm-hmm. and we had uh, a, a group of people from the deaf community of Ottawa, I believe, yes. who were in attendance. Yeah. And um, we received only an email about it indicating there would be members of the community, but mm-hmm. also that they would have balloons and vibration chairs. Yes. And, yes. I mean, were you working with the with the audience last night? Okay. So I I I'm, I. I was privileged enough to witness some of this and, okay. and, and very impressed that the National Arts Center was putting on this event. I think this these types of um, 
making music, musical performances accessible mm-hmm. to the deaf communities is hugely important. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was, I will say right off the bat, very impressed. I wasn't oh, expecting to see the vibra packs, the sub packs yeah. uh, on the chairs. That was, that was a really. Uh, Can real you describe present. what that is? Because we didn't get to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on stage. So they had at the back of of the hall um, mm. these vibra packs strapped to some of the theater seats. Okay. And you, 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 you sort of sit in. <laughs> and you get buckled up okay. <laughs> in the vest, <laughs> and it transmits the 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 vibrations, okay, um, and and rhythmic the the, the rhythmic gestures. Of Have course, you tried the vest? Important. I had wanted to last okay. night. I've tried one before, okay. but I hadn't tried the. Does, one so the one you tried before does it actually uh, recreate the sense of dynamic range? Yeah, you can. Okay. You, the, 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 there, there's a a sort of differentiated. The for the force changes mm-hmm. depending on the dynamics. The, okay. Uh, the, the, so something that's played at a pianissimo would be sort of like a kind of soft tickle. Okay. And then the forte obviously would be much b- more. <laughs> yeah. There's some there's some weight behind it. Okay. So you, so there is this differentiated sense of of touch encoded within the vest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's really cool. Yeah. To see and then the balloons, of course. Um, are 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 a very simple way, right? It's of, I imagine it's mm-hmm. not as uh, diverse or complex as the no. best, but it's still the tactile experience. Yeah, of absolutely, the room, absolutely. The acoustical yeah. waves. Um, did you? Uh, there was also people signing on stage. Mm-hmm. Do you know if they were? What kind? What? They were they were signing uh, during the Ode to Joy chorus. Okay, and it was um, very well. Executed. These mm-hmm. are professional sign language interpreters mm-hmm. who've been training for many years, um, and who really strike a balance between um, maintaining a certain integrity to the text mm-hmm. while also taking certain creative freedoms. Okay, so they were express. they were doing more than just translating the text. Yeah. So so okay. the Ode to Joy, as you know, the yeah. poem by Friedrich Schiller from 1785. <laughs> <laughs> On on the Freude, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We know it well as musicians, because Beethoven drew upon it in the ninth. Um, it's a it's a text about uplift, mm-hmm. isn't it? And and about um, fraternity. Yep. And the human spirit. <laughs> That's and, right. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> and so it was interesting to watch the interpreters convey this sense of uplift through ascending mm. hand gestures, okay. um, which weren't always coordinated with the music but but that 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 that's okay mm-hmm. um the 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 most skilled sign language interpreters who are accustomed to doing song signing mm-hmm. don't feel that they need obey all of the the music's formal parameters well, in a way they're performing as well, right? Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? It is, it yeah, is a performance I mean, of sorts. Yeah, I think when we, yeah. whenever we interpret any piece of music as a musician, you know, we we tr- we do we do what the composer says mm-hmm. to a point, <laughs> and yeah. everyone else is doing their yeah. their own personal touch in a way. Yeah. See, yeah. you've highlighted a parallel between sign language and music. Mm. <laughs> That's cool. Inadvertently. Yeah. <laughs> way to go. <laughs> You'd get A plus in my class. Yay. <laughs> no, I don't give A pluses. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, did you have a chance to uh, communicate with any of the observers last night? Unfortunately, no. Okay. I was um, I was uh, able to meet uh, some of the interpreters, okay. but not not um, not not any of the guests. Okay. Yeah. 
but tonight I'm hope I'm hopeful that I might meet some at my talk. Great. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, is, I'm, I'm still learning more about this evening's yeah. production with re, with the the deaf community. And mm-hmm. so are they coming to? They've been invited to the concert as well tonight. Yeah, and 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 the talk that I'm the the pre concert talk mm-hmm. that I'm giving yeah. is also going to um, feature live um, sign language interpretation. Great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. The reason I ask is because I'm. I'm curious how the NAC will go forward now with vibra- <laughs> vibration vests. I yeah. should look more into this. I think it's really fascinating to always offer the opportunity for everyone yeah. to experience the music. And if yeah, I hope this, this is, is a game changer, this yeah, sounds amazing so. to me. Yeah, I hope so. I think it's a real worthwhile, it's it's, it's worth pursuing. I hope it's not just mm. a standalone event on yeah, account of, of the fact yeah. that, you know, Beethoven is the deaf composer. Yeah. Because cer- certainly members of the deaf community, deaf and hard of hearing communities, um, deserve to to be made to feel at home. Yeah. Um, well, Beethoven was also, I mean, he he basically made the symphony almost impossible for every composer after him well, for that's so it. long. Like you're absolutely the right. The deaf composer made every other the composer. anxiety of his influence. Exactly. <laughs> they were stressed out. To Living the max. in his shadow right yeah. up until Brahms. Exactly. I mean, Brahms Even Mahler still worried Mahler. about it. Mahler. Yeah. They all had trouble. Yeah. Composing their symphonies on account of Beethoven's influence. He nailed the ninth. He really did. What a statement, right? It's, yeah, I think so. I think it's, I'm always fascinated how composers were so preoccupied with Beethoven's execution and oh. the of the symphony. And yeah. and and the ninth is 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 such a. Uh, it's a monstrosity. Yeah, yeah. It's like the musical Everything. equivalent of the Taj Mahal. Maybe Wagner's works are, but no, I yeah. mean, it really was. I know what was. you mean, though. Yeah. Structurally, mm-hmm. melodically, mm-hmm. motivically, yes. harmony, directions, like everything that happens in these, yes. these later symphonies and in the ninth, especially, yes. but structurally in the last moment. We it's, talked about, about this with Alex Shelley. Yeah. But it's just like so unique. Yeah. And that he's a rep- he represents that community. Absolutely. I think it's so great. The yeah. crystallization of all of these aesthetic breakthroughs that he'd been working at for mm-hmm. many years and the inclusion of a chorus yeah exactly would have been totally unexpected to Viennese audiences mm-hmm. because symphonic music this this was an absolute genre of music yeah you know not for the voice not the for sim- the voice exactly. not for yeah. words not yeah. to have any sort of explicit meaning mm-hmm. so this was a real pivotal moment but the force the sheer force the the of of of, of because of course the orchestra had grown in, in, in yes. size mm-hmm. But also having that chorus on stage and those soloists, yeah. the magnitude of this, this, the sound, mm-hmm. I can't help but wonder, and this is all speculative, mm-hmm. if that had also to do with Beethoven's deafness. Well, that's an interesting, interesting mm-hmm. uh, discussion, I think, mm-hmm. because we all know that he would chop the legs off his pianoforte mm-hmm. so that he could hear mm-hmm. and feel the vibrations yeah. while he played and composed. Yeah. So maybe there... It is conjecture, as you say, but maybe there is something to that. Totally. Yeah. I often wonder as well about this this rhythmic sensibility that we see in Beethoven's right. music. This music. drive. Da, 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 you yeah. know, this is so percussive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that and that theme in the in the in the Fifth Symphony overtakes the more melodious cantabile mm-hmm. second theme, right? Yep. So so we know that this this is a prominent feature of Beethoven's music, and of I and I also wonder if that had something to do, yep. if, or if it's reflective of his hearing loss. Maybe in every right, symphony pounding, too. Yeah, right. This, the, the end of the seventh, the end of the eighth, mm-hmm. and the the scherzo in the ninth. Mm-hmm. It's they're, they're absolutely ins- insistent. Yes. Yeah. No, Beethoven, um, because he 
it's not as if he woke up one morning and wasn't able to hear. I know. It was, it you was, know, it was gradual. gradual. Yes, so he yeah. had time. It was a very physically and socially disorienting process for him, mm-hmm. no doubt. But he had time to adjust and adapt to each mm-hmm. new level, and he adapted a series of accommodations. But of course, as your, as maestro Alexander Shelley noted, uh, this was a language he'd internalized. Mm-hmm. The gallant style, some of these prescriptive ways that, Seven or 18th and 19th century or 17th and 18th century composers would compose music according mm-hmm. to Beethoven had long since internalized. But then, of course, the deafness, the hearing loss made it that he had to think a little bit more creatively yeah, exactly. about about sound mm-hmm. um, and, and, and could afford to take more risks, I yeah. think. Yeah. So while the works of the late period, um, he didn't compose nearly as much music as he, he did in the mm-hmm. mid and the early period, it, it the, the the, the weight, the the, oh, yeah. the the magnitude of these works. The late quartets. Mm-hmm. I know. Me, <laughs> I play clarinet and I, I will oh, live with those quartets you're forever. of the string players. I am. Well, Opus 132 is oh, my dream. Oh, minus 131. Okay. 131? Yeah. I, I can't remember that one. 132 is an A. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. of the... Yeah, I know that one. Yeah. I think that's 131, but anyway. They're all great. Yeah. The late works are just so good, though. They are. Yeah. They are. So I think both a product of his the the, the physiological, um, and I don't want to say constraints, but the physiological mm-hmm. gains of his deafness, if ah, you will, the creative gains of his deafness, it, yeah. and also the emotional turmoil he experienced mm-hmm. as a result of his hearing loss, because we know profound, well, yeah, we, we know <laughs> yeah. that he was he elected to 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 go into hiding. You yeah. know, he was feeling increasing alienation from the Viennese musical elite and from mm-hmm. his audiences. Yeah. He felt that that Viennese audiences had been corrupted by Rossini, uh, <laughs> and and that their 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 musical tastes were were no longer intact, and that mm. they weren't equipped to deal with um, the Ninth Symphony. He mm-hmm. thought to premiere it in Bonn, but he was very embarrassed about his deafness because it mm-hmm. was so poorly understood, both mm-hmm. by medical professionals and by. Um, society at large he didn't have access to this empowering discourse on deaf identity that we that we have today he didn't have access to sign language or to to a hearing aid or a cochlear implant yeah um deafness was 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 deeply stigmatized and we know also that he had a fiery temperament yes and that his hearing loss only increased the potential for misunderstanding. Oh, understandably, yeah, mm-hmm. understandably. So, so I think you know when looking at some of Beethoven's correspondence where he speaks in very grave terms about his hearing loss, mm-hmm. it's more reflective of the social mm-hmm. limits of deafness and the emotional and psychological turmoil Be- Beethoven felt as a result than mm-hmm. it is of the physiological limits of deafness. Interesting, yeah. But that isn't how we like to tell the story around Beethoven's deafness. We yeah, love to romanticize to no end about, about his well, hearing I think, loss. I think we're guilty for doing that with many, many, <laughs> oh, many yeah. figures in, <laughs> yeah. in history. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is so fascinating. Thank you yeah. so much for, for taking the time to do this. And, um, 
your book when when is the release date scheduled for? Sorry if you don't mind <laughs> Good me asking. Question. I know I know it's <laughs> like anything else. Applying the pressure, applying well, the pressure. I like it. I need a, a little bit of pressure. Maybe a wide window. Yeah. So so we can our readers in a few can, years, oh, sorry, our listeners you, can know. Yeah, yeah, you can expect to see it in print within a few years. Right. Yeah. Well, congrats yeah. on that. Thank and, you so uh, much. Good luck with your talk tonight at the uh, pre-concert. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Fascinating conversation. Love. Yes. With you. Likewise, and I look forward to your performance tonight. Thank the you. Ninth. <laughs> okay. Thanks. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NAC podcasts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.